thank you so much, Rob, and the pastoral team and the church leadership for inviting us to come and be part of uh, this worship service. Uh, we look forward to you coming over perhaps one of these days as our adjunct professor. Uh, Rob did such a wonderful job teaching uh, biblical theology supported by Bobo. Thank you for your love and care. As Rob put it, this is uh, the third time he's opened up uh, his pulpit for me to preach. I'm reminded of uh, a young intern who was so excited, went to his uh, lead pastor and shared that this is the third time I've been invited in this church. Uh, I must have done a good job for them to invite <laughs> me for the third time. Then the lead pastor wisely told him that in that church, the practice is that when they invite you for the second or third time, they want you to polish up on your previous sermons. <laughs> so if you do a good job, they don't invite you again. If you mess up, they give you, yeah. <laughs> then three strikes, you're out. Is that the practice in this church? <laughs> Let me invite us to stand as we turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, be sharing from verses 12 to 14, but to help us understand the context of the passage, I'm going to start reading from verse 9, Colossians chapter 1, beginning to read at verse 9, but our emphasis will be on verses 12 to 14. I commence reading. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thus far God's inerrant and inspired word Shall we look to him in prayer? O Lord our God, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. To whom can we go for you are the words of eternal life? Thank you for your word, its manner to our souls. Your word tells us all scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for teaching rebuke and instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We come before you this morning that you may rebuke us, correct us, instruct us, and equip us to live holy lives pleasing unto thee. We thank you that the entrance of your word brings about understanding. And now ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for Christ's sake, amen. You may kindly be seated.
want to ask you to imagine you are incarcerated in some prison, not an American prison. I've seen them on TV. Some of them look like three-star hotels. Uh, just imagine you are incarcerated in this horrible prison. The conditions are so harsh. And you've not been in prison for wrongdoing, perhaps for preaching the gospel. You've been unjustly confined behind bars. You have no way of communicating to your family, brothers, friends, or churchmates. Then providentially, the Lord allows somebody from your local church, let's say Grace City Church, to visit you in prison. You have no access to email, no social media. You can only write a letter to this church. So think about the conditions surrounding you. They are terrible. They are horrible. And perhaps you are facing impending death. If you are given an opportunity to write to your church family or even your own biological family, what would you write about? What would be the contents of your letter? Or if you were to ask the church to pray for you, what would you ask them to pray for you? If I were in that condition, I would ask that they pray for me that I get released from this horrible prison. And probably upon my release, I have to sue whoever was responsible for putting me behind bars. I would want to ask for a fair retrial. The Apostle Paul is in prison. As you may know, this is one of the prison epistles. And he has an opportunity to interact with Epaphras, who we believe came to faith when Paul was ministering in Ephesus for three years. And Epaphras is about to go to the Lycus Valley. There are a couple of churches in that valley, uh, the Colossian Church, the Laodicean Church, the church in Areopolis. So Paul has not made most of uh, the saints in this church. Probably has no idea of who they are. But by God's grace and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is enabled to write to them. It's amazing that in his salutation or introduction, Paul does not even draw attention to the prevailing circumstances in prison. It just bursts out in praise and thanksgiving. You look at verses 3 and 12 in verse 3. It says, we always, not sometimes, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. So this is an apostle who's filled with thanksgiving. In chapter 3 and verse 17, he says, Give thanks to God, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father through him. So here's an apostle who's filled with gratitude. He gives thanks to God uh, for this triad, faith, love, and hope. You see them in verses 4, verses 5 and 8, and he's so overwhelmed with that triad. The Lord blesses us with so much, but listen, all these things will pass away. Spiritual gifts will pass away. As Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, these three remain, faith, love, and hope, and the greatest is 
love. As Paul writes to the Thessalonian believers in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, he tells them, give thanks in all circumstances because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is not minimizing or downplaying suffering, trial, and persecution. All he's saying is as you go through all those experiences, give thanks in all circumstances because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Even when Paul prays, his prayers are unique. Sometimes we get together for prayer and you're asking people for prayer requests. So pray for me, I'll be traveling. Pray for me, I have a flu. Pray for me, I have this and that. Nothing wrong with that, but look at the way Paul prays. For instance, in verse 3, again, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. How does he pray for them? Verse 9, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Do you see how Paul prays? How different are Paul's prayers from mine? So when he gives thanks, you also see the kind of things that Paul is thankful for. Now the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from above coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. We ought to be thankful to God for good food, which is just around the corner. Thanksgiving is coming. We need to thank God for our families. We need to thank God for our careers, our vocation. But come with me as we look at this passage and consider three things that the apostle thanks God for on behalf of the Colossian believers and those in the Lycus Valley. He thanks God because God has qualified us or qualified them. Secondly, God the Father has rescued us and God the Father has relocated us. So I want to quickly look at the fact that the Father has qualified us. Verse 12a, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Now, in some of your Bibles, there's a footnote. The you can even be us. So God the Father has qualified us or God the Father has qualified you. The Apostle Paul is a theocentric preacher and apostle. He's God-centered. Unfortunately, today, we have preachers. I don't know in your country. In my country, most of the preachers are pastor-centered, anthropocentric, drawing attention to themselves, not with Paul. All attention goes to God. You see that in chapter 1, verse 2a. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ that calls it, grace to you and peace from God our Father. He says that again in chapter 3, verse 17. So Paul is a God-centered apostle, and he gives thanks to God the Father for what he has done through the Colossian believers. What, what, has he has, what has he done? He has qualified you. He has qualified us. And that word qualified is very important. Some versions say he has made us fit. Uh, you see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Paul is talking about the new covenant. 
the New Testament ministry. Paul says, on our own, we don't qualify. But thank God, God has qualified us. He has made us capable, sufficient to be New Testament ministers. He has made us competent. He has made us sufficient. He has authorized us to be New Testament ministers. Then in this context, Paul thanks God, the Father, because he has qualified the Colossian believers. He has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints, to be partakers, participants in the inheritance of the saints. And that word inheritance uh, draws out uh, an image from the Old Testament. Uh, you recall as God is uh, redeeming and rescuing his people from Egyptian bondage and slavery in Egypt by an outstretched arm, is leading them to Canaan in the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And when you read such passages as Numbers 18 verse 20, Joshua 13 verse 16, Joshua 14 verse 2, and many others, inheritance is a reference to a physical piece of land in Canaan. Unfortunately, this piece of land was always under attack from Israel's enemies, the Jebusites, uh, sometimes I think of the gigabytes and the mosquito bites and all those <laughs> bites. Uh, yes, this was God's inheritance for his people. Uh, it was shared by Lot. But listen, if you're a believer, if you're sitting here today and you know Jesus Christ, God has qualified you to share not in a physical piece of land as an inheritance, but in this glorious inheritance of the saints. So God qualifies the unqualified. The Colossian believers were once Gentiles. They were separated and alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, those who were once far off have been brought near through the blood of Jesus to share in the inheritance of the saints. Maybe you are sitting there and say, what kind of inheritance is this? Now, we have a practice in Africa, if your father or parents will that you should inherit uh, their property, after burial there's a discussion uh, to see how you distribute the inheritance. And some of you have heard of stories where even a widow has been deprived of everything that the husband left behind. Uh, there are children who have been impoverished uh, because some greedy relative or uncle deprived them of their parents' inheritance. The inheritance we are talking about here is eternal. It's self. Uh, and the Bible tries to describe this inheritance within this context. This is an inheritance of the saints in light. Other versions say in the kingdom of light. It's for the saints. It's not for everyone. Paul uses that word saints in verses 2, 4, 12, and verse 26. It's a reference to the set apart ones, those who are sanctified. In some circles, to be a saint uh, you have to be canonized. You should have done some wonderful works here on earth. 
Listen, you don't need to do anything to be a saint. If you are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are born again, the spirit lives in you, you are a saint. And this is your inheritance. You know, Peter tries to describe uh, this inheritance and he kind of fails, although he's writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He just says what it's not. Sometimes we want to describe something beautiful, something wonderful. Uh, sometimes we go back and people ask us, uh, how's Orlando, how's Disney World? They say, it's not like this place in Zambia. It's not like this place in Zambia. So Peter does that. Uh, if you see in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 4, and you recall that Peter is writing in the mid-60s A.D., when neurotic Nero was empire, was persecuting God's people, and the saints are scattered abroad. So Peter writes to those in the diaspora and says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable. In other words, it's incorruptible. It's undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for us, who by God's power being guarded from, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter is saying, if you're a child of God, if you know Jesus Christ, if your sins have been forgiven, God has qualified you in this inheritance. What kind of inheritance is this? It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. And it's kept in heaven for you. And you are being guarded. As I was looking at that phrase, being guarded, there's double protection. And Peter is using a military term. So you are being guarded from being attacked. And you are also guarded from escaping. In case you're thinking, no, I might lose my salvation. God guards you from escaping and he also guards you from being attacked. And this inheritance is not kept in the Swiss bank. It's kept in heaven, safe and secure. The Bible says, lay up your treasures in heaven where no moth nor rust can destroy. No thief can go in and steal. So as you sit here this morning, May I remind you that God has qualified you. God has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So holy ones, you have an inheritance. We read earlier on from Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. As Paul thinks about this inheritance, writing to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9, he says, As it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived or imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Do you love God? Just try to imagine something you can't imagine. That's what God has prepared for you. The unimaginable, indescribable, wonderful, glorious, marvelous, eternal inheritance. 
Uh, I just learned recently concerning your federal student aid application system. We don't have that in our country. You have the need-based financial aid. Uh, there's no discrimination by any factor apart from financial need. Eligibility is based solely on the assets and income of the prospective student and his or her family. Factors such as test scores or athletic ability or talents have no bearing on need-based aid. When you flip the coin, there's the merit-based financial aid. Under this arrangement, merit includes a variety of talents and interests, academic, artistic, and the list goes on. And probably you are seated here and you're a student, maybe you have accessed one of those. When we come to this scholarship I'm talking about, this inheritance, it has nothing to do with any of these two. It's solely based on God's sovereign grace. In Paul's words to the Ephesian believers, he says, it's according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. It's by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boss. So if our sovereign grace, our gracious Father in heaven, has qualified you to share in this inheritance, don't let anyone disqualify you. That's what Paul is telling the Colossian believers. Let not those Gnostics, these heretics and Judaizers disqualify you. You are already qualified. It's quite ironic. You are qualified, then some false teacher in Northeast Phil is trying to disqualify you. Do you care more about that false teacher or God who has qualified you in this inheritance? So in, sec in, in Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 16, Paul writes, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that are to come, the reality is found in Christ. And there's such a high Christology in the book of Colossians. Paul continues, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on ascetism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions puffed up without reason by the sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Listen, God has qualified us as saints to share in the inheritance of the saints. So no one should disqualify us. Legalism shouldn't, ascetism shouldn't, angel worship, Today, there are so many false teachings, and if we are not careful, they will eclipse our focus on God the Father and the inheritance that he has for us. May I encourage us to be thankful for this inheritance, that which no eye has seen, no ear heard, no heart conceived. We usually sing that old Irish hymn back home, and I'm sure you do it here, I saw it listed on the bulletin. Be thou my vision. The third stanza says, Riches I hid not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. 
thou and thou only, first in my heart, high king of heaven, my treasure thou art. May I ask us this morning, who's your inheritance? Thank God for these beautiful, lovely wives, cute kids, nice cars, nice homes. These are passing away. May God be our inheritance. Riches I hid not, no man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. So God has not just qualified us into this inheritance of the saints. He has also rescued us. Look with me at verse 13. He has delivered us. Other versions say he has rescued us. Can't you see that God is the cause of all this? Is the initiator. This is not man-centered. This is God doing it. Salvation is the work of God from beginning to the end. I know sometimes we try to assist God here and there. Somebody said, the only contribution we've made to our salvation is our sinful nature. So salvation from beginning to end is the work of God. So all these pronouns are just focusing on God. He, he alone, he has delivered us. He has rescued us, as the NIV puts it. Now that term delivered appears five times in the New Testament and it refers to being rescued from danger. So if I came to you and said, I would like to rescue you, Rob, you say, from what? <laughs> I'm safe and sound. You only rescue those who are in danger. The faithful, noble, committed, far men and women we have are there to rescue us in case of danger, in case of fire. So no fires, no need for uh, firemen and women. So wherever you find that term, rescue, delivered, it is implied that there's some danger. Listen, the world is wallowing in sin. People may look clean, smart, outwardly. Uh, they may dress up. But, but they are dead in their sin and trespasses. There are no apologies about that. Sometimes we try to be politically correct and have a preacher say, no, we are all children of God. We ain't. Sinners are dead in their sins and trespasses. The wrath of God is upon them. Before you and I were rescued, we were enemies of God. Paul writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 5 verse 8. says, but God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we're still powerless. We're not in a coma. We're not sick. We're not limping. We are dead in our trespasses. We're corpses. But praise God. God in his mercy rescued us. Look at verse 21. Paul describes the condition of the Colossians, our condition before we're redeemed, before we're rescued. Verse 21, and you, Colossians, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now 
reconciled in his body, who he has rescued in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So that was our condition. We were dead in sin. The wrath of God was upon us, and now he has delivered us. He has qualified us to something, which is the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. He has rescued us from something to something. He has rescued us, if you look at our passage, verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And that term domain is a reference to a kingdom. It's Satan's realm. Uh, Jesus made reference to that in Matthew 4, verses 8 to 11, Luke 22, verses 52 and 53. That's a prince of this world. There's a domain that's controlled by evil forces. Any non-believer you meet in the northeast Philly is under the domain of Satan. They may be smart. They may have their PhDs. Uh, they may be wealthy. But as long as they don't know Christ, they are under the power and influence of Satan. And if you are here this morning, you don't know Jesus. You have no relationship with the Son of God. You are under the kingdom of darkness, wickedness, bondage, rebellion against God. You recall when the Apostle Paul met Jesus on the Damascus road, or when Jesus met Paul, or when they met <laughs> on the Damascus road, Jesus gives a commission to Paul. Not just to go and plant a church and grow big churches, especially these days. It's a passion of every pastor. I don't know in the United States. In fact, this is why you have mega churches. Uh, because we see mega beggar, mega this, and mega churches. So everyone's passion is to have a big church. Praise God for that. We're not just into building big churches. You can, be, you can build a big church of people who haven't repented of their sin. Listen to what Paul says in Acts 26. He's giving a testimony before these dignitaries. Verses 17, 18, and 23. Jesus says to Paul, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes and turn them from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may Receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So if you are born again, you have been rescued from sin, from darkness. At one point, your mind, your eyes were blinded by the devil. But through the preaching of the gospel, glory be to God, we have experienced the light of the gospel. We have been rescued from one kingdom to another Ephesians 5 verse 8 reads, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. 1 Peter 2 verse 9, You are a chosen people that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his path light. So just by reading Colossians, there are only four chapters there, we've been rescued by God the Father, who sent his son in the flesh, Colossians 1.22, in order to die for our sins on the cross, Colossians 1.22, chapter 2, verse 14, and rise and ascend to heaven, Colossians 3, verse 1. That's a gospel. Hallelujah. 
If you believe in him and you are baptized, you have died with him in his death, you've been buried with him in his resurrection, and one day you rise with him to live with him forever and ever. But the good news is that we are no longer under the domain of darkness. We may live in a wicked city. You know, it's amazing, even back home, almost every day there's a shooting in school. We can't wrap our minds around that because for us, public schools are the safest places to send your kids to. There may be drugs around the city, all that, but if you're born again, you've been rescued from that kingdom into the kingdom of his glorious light. So what you need to do is to give him praise, amen, to thank him. We sang earlier on, there's no voice loud enough to express our gratitude to him. There's no song melodious enough to sing about this rescue. My guess is that most of us remember the famous uh, rescue operation of the Chilean miners in 2010. 5th August 2010, you had uh, 33 miners from Chile trapped uh, 2,300 feet underground. The rescue operation took 69 days. There were three drilling rig teams, nearly every Chilean government ministry, your own NASA space agency here, a dozen corporations from around the world cooperated in this rescue. About one billion people watched worldwide this Operation Rescue. Over $20 million was spent on rescuing just the three miners. Praise God, on 13th October, all these miners were rescued. The Chilean President Sebastian Panera and the First Lady Cecilia Morel were present to witness the rescue. Bolivian President Evo Morales was also scheduled to be there but did not arrive in time to see the rescue of the trapped Bolivian miner Carlos Mamani. A number of foreign leaders contacted President Pinera to express solidarity and pass on congratulatory messages for this wonderful rescue mission. They included the presidents of Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, the prime ministers of UK, Spain, and Iran, Mexican President Felipe Caudon, US President then Barack Obama. Pope Benedict XVI left a video message in Spanish praying for the success of the rescue operation. So when the last miner came out, President Pinera exclaimed, these miners were experiencing a kind of rebirth. I'm sitting there and say, we are the ones who have experienced a rebirth. There was honking and shouting and celebrating all over. These were just rescued from physical danger. We've been rescued from eternal condemnation. We ought to rejoice more. We ought to shout the loudest. We have been rescued from the darkness, from Satan's domain. One hymn writer by the name of James Rowe says, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, 
from the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me. I cannot sing like Pastor Rob. <laughs> I wish I could. Love lifted me. So as you sit there, don't just rejoice that you're a member of Grace City Church. Something miraculous took place. God the Father sent his only begotten son. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. We've been rescued from the domain of darkness and translated in the kingdom light. And we need to shout the loudest. Let everyone in Northeast Philly know that we've been rescued. Thirdly and finally, God has done something wonderful and tremendous in our lives. Not only has he qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints, he has also delivered us from the domain of darkness. Now, I can imagine if this is the domain of darkness, where there's evil, wickedness, condemnation, hellfire, then God, by his mercy and grace, sends his son to deliver me out of the kingdom of darkness. I'm safe and sound because I'm not going to hell. So God could have done that and will still be his children and will inherit the inheritance we're talking about. But God also transferred us into the kingdom of his son. That's amazing grace. I'm thinking about justification. We're justified by grace through faith. God could have justified us and just said, you're going to heaven. But guess what? He has also adopted us in his family. So God transfers us from the kingdom of darkness. We're headed to hell. We're wayward, wandering children of hell. But look at what the passage says. He has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So he has relocated us. Hallelujah. He has transferred us. Where has he transferred us? To the kingdom of his beloved son, whom he loves. I guess that's a reference to Jesus at his baptism as John, I don't say the Baptist, less Baptist think he belonged to their denomination. John the baptizer is baptizing Jesus. I share Baptist background. So he belonged to the Southern Baptist. No, he was a baptizer. As Jesus is coming out of the water, a voice came from heaven which says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And Matthew 2 verse 15 is a quotation from Hosea 11 verse 1, which says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. So Christ has fulfilled the messianic expectations and hopes of the Old Testament. He inherited the kingdom from the Father, and now, if you are washed in the blood of Jesus, you are a co-heir with Christ Jesus. So we are not just outside the kingdom. Now, we were in Orlando uh, almost one and a half weeks ago. During the conference, most of us were in shorts and t-shirts. And, you know, it's getting cold here. If God had translated us or delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and he left us in an environment that's very cold, that will still be grace. We'll still be saved. We'll still be delivered. 
So if he placed us in Alaska or in Antarctica or in some cold place, I'll still thank him because I've been delivered out of darkness. But guess what? God has transferred us. Hallelujah. This is exciting. He has transferred us. He has relocated us to where? To the kingdom of his beloved son. Friends, the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God are diametrically opposed. One is the kingdom of light. The other one is the kingdom of death, hell, and darkness. I want to ask you this morning, which kingdom are you part of? If you're still in darkness, by God's grace, you can call upon him and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And by grace, he will transfer you into the kingdom of his son. Beloved son, we are co-heirs, joint heirs with his son. You know, most of us love fairy stories and have crossed the Atlantic. Even our kids know about beauty and the beast. Uh, Cinderella, almost every kid in Africa has heard about Cinderella, as evil stepmother, two uh, stepsisters who treated her. But somehow she manages to marry this prince and they lived happily ever after like most couples here. <laughs> For some kids in Africa, they, they tend to think this is a true story. And for many of them, one of the things on their bucket list is to visit the Magic Kingdom and just see this castle which stands at 189 foot. It's quite some icon and landmark. But listen, we celebrate this. We spend so much money to just celebrate how this girl was transferred from obscurity to honor and prominence. This is a fairy tale. We have a better story. Hallelujah. We were lost. We are bound in sin. We are headed for hell. But by God's grace and mercy, we have been relocated. We have been transferred. And as a result, verse 14, Paul closes that paragraph by saying, if this has happened to you, Colossians, if God, has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. Not just the Colossians, not just the churches in the Lycus Valley, even Northeast Church, even Grace City Church in the Northeast Philly. If you have repented of your sins, if you have called upon Jesus in salvation, one, Paul says, God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. He has also delivered you from the domain of darkness and he has transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son. As a result, you have redemption in him, the forgiveness of sins. We've been brought back from death. We are redeemed. Our sins have been atoned for. So as we respond, as we prepare to break bread, we should say, bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, all my soul. He forgives all our iniquities. 
to God be the glory. As far as the east is from the west, thus far as he removed our transgression. We have been redeemed. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And that phrase, the forgiveness of sins, again is a picture of the two gods you know about in Leviticus 16 verse 8, we, don't go, we won't go in details. The scapegoat represents sins that were laid, the Israel's sins laid upon that sin, that God, and it was released to go far away in the wilderness. And that's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Both gods represent what Jesus has done in our state. And Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. First Peter 2.24 who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree. So as we prepare to participate in the Lord's Supper, may we respond like the psalmist in Psalm 107 verse 1 and 2. All give thanks to Yahweh for his good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so who he has redeemed from trouble, who he has rescued from calamity, Paul goes on in Colossians say, anything that was against you, the debt you owed has been nailed to the cross. Your debt has been canceled. And on the cross, Jesus cried out, Tetelestai, paid in full. It is finished. You have been redeemed. You have been reconciled. You have been restored. You have been delivered from the domain of darkness. Oh, what joy. That's what should thrill our souls as you prepare for thanksgiving, as you thank God for the food, for family. Don't forget to thank him for the fact that he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. He has rescued you from the domain of darkness into his glorious right. He has redeemed you let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you're a stranger to these things we are talking about, you can talk to one of the pastors. You can go to Pastor Rob and say, I feel I'm still wallowing in sin. I'm not, I don't know about you. Sometimes a preacher preaches and says, Rob, did you exchange notes with a preacher? We haven't. If this is speaking of you, may you just come openly. What can wash away my stain? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Father, we thank you that you have qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And we say to God be the glory. That which no eye has seen. No ear heard, no heart conceived. You have kept in stock for us. We give you praise. We have no words loud enough to express our gratitude for this inheritance. We praise you because you have delivered us. You have rescued us from the domain of darkness. And you have transferred us. You have relocated us to the kingdom of your beloved son. And we are co-heirs with Christ Jesus. Joint heirs with the Son. Therefore, there's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because they've been delivered. And we thank you because we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in the blood of Jesus. 
receive all the praise, the glory, and the honor. For Christ's sake, amen.